Hello, I need to go on Twitter and say hello. We're on YouTube and stuff. And we've got Dylan. Hello, hello. Dylan. Hello. Hello. I can. <clears throat> I so I solved the problem with my headphones that we had last week. Um. And it's now resolved, and I can hear everything. Uh, do you want to know what the problem was? What was the problem? The Rode Podcaster USB microphone, mm. uh, which has a direct audio out, so you can yes. monitor yourself. Um, also has a volume control. <laughs> and it was turned and, right down. Well, um, last night I plugged a four-way adapter into itself and then spent 10 minutes thinking that I had blown a fuse in my office and trying to figure out why it didn't work and eventually worked out that that's i've always wondered if you plug a four-way into itself does it the electricity flow in a loop or does it stop i don't know yeah i don't know <laughs> it's, it's a mystery okay i'm just posting that we're live on twitter i'm going to do the same and and on various uh, things just we should, we, we should automate this why can't why can't ai do anything useful like we've got all these amazing i can draw you a picture of a frog playing the violin but why isn't there an ai where you can just go hey can you tweet this thing we're recording now and it goes yeah i can do that for you that that's yes useful. i mean that's that's um, what i want is I, i've decided what i want from ai yeah is i want something with the capabilities of jarvis but the personality of marvin So it can do everything that Jarvis could do in Iron Man, but yeah. it complains bitterly every time you ask it to do anything. Um, and I just think, and I, I asked on Twitter, how can I um, induce clinical depression in an AI? And uh, I think my favorite suggestion was um, train it on YouTube comments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just I'm, I'm tweeting the link and I'm tweeting it on on Mastodon and I'm tweeting it on Blue Sky and I'm tweeting it on Threads and this would be where I find out I'm tweeting the wrong link to everybody, isn't it? Because that's that's what happens. There we go. Yeah, so, no, I think. Yeah, though no, that looks right. Um, so yeah, we are there and. So far, nobody is watching. We got. I don't. I don't understand threads. Stuff, so, like, I, I'll start a thread. Oh, there we go. Yeah, threads. Yes. Yeah. So my social media um, behavior these days is uh, I I manually check Twitter once or twice a day. Yeah. And that's it. And I occasionally sort of scroll down a bit until I catch myself kind of clicking on something that goes, oh, you'll never guess what the GOP house leader said <laughs> about virgins or something. Yes. And, and then I just go, oh, no, I remembered why I don't do this. Yes. Um, and I tried I tried Mastodon, and I was on Hackydom. Yeah. And then there was all the drama. I, I did like, not realize there was drama because there, there I was, click there on was the drama. drama apparently yeah. a trans one of the trans people uh who actually ran hacky derm was a transphobe uh or something okay and i thought i, I don't need this and so yes. i left uh and then i tried blue sky 
Yes. Um, and everybody on Blue Sky, literally, as I joined, everybody on Blue Sky was very cross because they hadn't thought up front, hey, given the nature of the world that we live in, people are probably going to use racial slurs in their usernames if we let them and mm. sort of pre-filter, like have a black, uh, uh, what do you call it, a block list yes. now of, of words that you can't use in your yes. username. And when it was pointed out to them that this was possible and that people were doing it, they went, ah, and they fixed it inside 24 hours. Mm. And But people still weren't happy. People were like, no, 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 it should never have been able to happen in the first place. And so I was kind of like, okay, so I'm not staying here. Um, I tried Threads, uh, but it's, it's meta. I don't like meta, and nobody's there. So, yeah, the other thing that I have started doing which if you told me at the start of 2022 that I would be doing this in 2024 is actually using LinkedIn like a social network. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, like checking what people are posting on LinkedIn and commenting on it and reposting it and, and all that sort of, and that's just for LinkedIn to be the yeah. only social network that's still viable in 2024 yeah i mean me. the whole you know the, the idea of social network viability um i posted a thing on on twitter yesterday about yaks which we will come to presently yes. and i got a reply from someone going this should be getting even more this this should be getting more attention even though it's like a shitty message or something um right and i was that's, like that's yes what... that's exactly the point of twitter is you post stupid things on it and five thousand people go we like this because it's stupid yes and you know, the, the, <laughs> there's a definite point when I remember the first time I posted something that got 500 likes. And yes. when that has never happened to you before, you're like, oh, yay, dopamine, dopamine, dopamine. And then you're like, no, got to got to do it again, got to do it again. And then you, yes. you, know, you get, and I think the biggest I ever got was like 10,000, which was definitely my Twitter peak, because I do yeah. not think that there is ever going to be a platform ever again where someone like me posting the kind of nonsense I post has that many eyeballs all looking in the same direction at the same time. Yeah. No, it, um, it can't I, think, I think that that's that's um, gone. I, uh, I I peaked on Twitter in 2010, I think, mm. maybe 2011, uh, when I posted that JavaScript uh, the good, good parts, parts versus yeah definitive guide photo and i think yeah. that got five thousand retweets and yeah. lots and lots of likes and stuff um and it's like yeah you know there was there was no way i was ever gonna top that i don't know why i bothered yeah. staying on after that honestly so yeah. <laughs> anyway tell me more about uh yak waxing so yeah so, so you know yak shaving right yeah i know Which yak is shaving. The, the whole, i've shaved many yaks um, yeah and uh, so for, for viewers who are unfamiliar with the idiom uh, yak shaving is the. Actually, I wrote a song once about yak shaving in which <laughs> I wanted to get from a perfectly ordinary piece of like IT infrastructure work to a point where someone is actually physically having to remove the hide from a yak. And so I came up with this, this story about someone has made a change to the copyright footer on the website. And they want to get it live, but they can't because the deployment to the production system uses SSH and the SSH private key has been deleted. So they think, oh, well, that's all right. It's fine. Uh, we can't recover that. But what we can do is we can provision a new stack and we'll point the DNS at the new one. 
and it turns out all the DNS records are in like GoDaddy or something. And it was the company founder's Hotmail address that was used to set up the GoDaddy account, and they've left. Yes. And they, there, there were three founders, and one's gone mad, and one's gone dead, and one has moved to Tibet to live in a monastery. And so the only way to get the website up is that our intrepid engineer has to get on an airplane and go to like Kathmandu and find this guy. And it turns out that before he got a shaman to wipe his mind, he tattooed his passwords on the side of a yak and yeah. let it back out in the pasture. And so to, to get the copyright to change on the website, our intrepid engineer actually ends up having to take a set of clippers and shave the hair off a yak to get yes. this. And yeah. it, it's that kind of, I got to do this before I can do this, before I can do this, before I can yeah. do this. And uh, there is, there's a, a fantastic clip. Uh, do you remember Malcolm in the Middle? Yes. The sitcom. And there's a brilliant scene where. Yeah, that's has, not because I, I disagree with that. Because you disagree with exactly this being actual. I'm going to post a link to I it. I disagree with the clip you are talking about. Because none of the th that's just him getting sidetracked. Okay. Like he goes to he, he's trying to like replace a light bulb or something, and he yeah. he, he opens the drawer where the, the something lives, and the drawer is loose, and he doesn't the drawer does not need to be repaired in order oh, to right. change the light bulb. That's just him being unable to stay on target. That's just him having ADHD. That's just him. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So so I I I. Dis I Okay, I, no, that's, that is that's not fair. actually a canonical representation of yak shaving. That's just someone yeah. getting distracted. That's like that. the whole, oh, yeah, I need to do a deployment. You open your browser to go into Azure, but accidentally you open Facebook instead. And then someone posts a thing. And next thing you know, you're on Amazon looking for MP3s. And you're not getting it done, but none of that's necessary. Yeah. You're yeah. just getting, getting. Whereas, you know, I think actual yak shaving is the oh i need to deploy this so first i need to deploy the database oh but the license has expired okay i'll go and renew the license oh but my credit card in google pay is out of date so i need to put in the new one oh but i can't because yeah. i need to get the app on my and it's that whole yes. you know like there, the are, there are chain. three version um, updates for the various github actions yeah, that i'm yeah, using in my and deploy yeah, pipeline and, yeah, and, and one yeah, of them doesn't yeah, work now and yeah. Yeah. Um, and yes i i just upgraded one of the projects that i run to dotnet 8 and uh, it was that sort of suspicious thing of uh, I changed the six to the eight in yeah. four csproj files and a JSON file. Mm -hmm. And then I went into NuGet and I went update all. And uh, actually, there were three packages I had to exclude because they're APIs for third party. But all the Microsoft stuff, right. like .NET, Entity Framework, is just like, give me the latest everything, latest automapper, yeah. latest shouldly, latest xunit, latest this, and did all. And it kind of all passed, and everything, all the tests passed, it built, and I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. And I'm like, to get like to a reasonable confidence level, like 99% confident that this has done the right thing, I need to provision a new environment. I need to put it on .NET 8. I need to set up a new actions pipeline, which you can't do from a pull request. So you've got to do that and then get that and then do this and then deploy to the new infrastructure and then you know potentially put the web hooks for the Stripe callbacks and everything pointing to the new stack. And this was sort of two or three days of very, very meticulous step-by-step -step validate, validate. And then I thought, if I just go into Azure and change the six to an eight, and then deploy. If it's all good, it'll all be good. Yeah. And uh, um, I, I was chatting to Claire, my partner, about this, and uh, she's like, "Are you going to shave that yak?" I was like, "No, I'm going to wax it." And she's like, "Ouch!" <laughs> and I was like, "Yak waxing. That's it. like just yes. rip it waxing. off. Boom. One painful 
screaming, ah, but then it's done. And then yeah. it's just right now we just got to clean up whatever the, the after effects of the, the waxing exercise were. And um, then when you were talking on Twitter, you were sort of saying this is things like right, right click to publish. Right click deploy. Boom. Yeah. Uh, right click deploy would be uh, an example of yak waxing. Yeah. Like no, no, don't don't put your code in revision control where other people will be able to see it. You yes, because I mean we live in a world where you can go into Visual Studio, open a new project, write five thousand lines of code, right click deploy, and then your hard drive dies. And there is now a website running on the internet in real life for which nobody on the planet has the source code because it doesn't exist anymore. Um, yes. which is a wonderful thing to be able to do with right click and a credit <laughs> card. You know, yeah. Um, I actually did that once. I, I once had a little component back in the days when I was running on classic ASP. I had an image resizer built in .NET that uh, the source code, I don't know what happened to it. It just it was supposed to be in subversion, and it wasn't. So I had to decompile the DLL. And it got the code back, but it didn't know any of the variable names. So I had to go through yeah. this this weird code and work out what everything was probably called. So See, what, what I want is right-click deploy and then have Visual Studio or Rider or whatever mm -hmm. it is just go, right, so well, this isn't a Git repo at the moment, so I'm going to turn this into a, a Git repository, and I'm going to yep. commit all your code, and then I'm going to go to GitHub. I'm going to create a repo on GitHub, and I'm going to put this up on your GitHub repo. And then I'm going to go, and I'm going to add the actions that are necessary to deploy this to Azure websites, to your GitHub uh, repos actions. And then I'm going to trigger the action so that it deploys. Mm. And then subsequently, when you do right-click deploy, it just does a commit and push and merge to yeah. main. Yeah. And and then everybody would be happy because yeah. the people who like right-click deploy would be, yay, it still works. And the people who think you should have a CI/CD pipeline and code reviews and all that sort of stuff would would be just floundering and mm. trying to work out why they still hate it. <laughs> because they would still hate it. They they, they would not be able to accept. They, I'm sure they just don't like things being easy. That's all it I'm is. I'm sure we know people who do this kind of thing for a job. Probably. And and <laughs> given the people who the people who make Visual Studio, the people who make GitHub Actions, and the people who make Azure all nominally work for the same company. Yeah. Come on, viewers. Like there's an opportunity out there. So no, I mean, since since .NET Core 3.1. Mm. I have found it's generally quite easy to update yeah. from one version to the next uh, or from one LTS to the next, actually. Yeah, so this was going um, from six to eight. So I skipped seven completely. Yeah, because um, I, I took a few from 3.1 yeah. to six. .NET is like Star Trek films. The odd-numbered ones are good. <laughs> and the even-numbered ones... Uh, no, the even numbered ones are good. The even numbered ones. Corel draw good. the yes. odd numbered. Corel draw three, five, seven were all awesome. Star Trek yeah. two, four, six were all awesome. Yes. So yeah. if you want to have a really good week, you alternate a version of Corel draw with a Star Trek movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, but no, the the .NET eight thing is because I've got uh, the fret badger site, which at the moment is. Oh, we got ASP we got Mark Heath watching and saying yes, that's what right click. Hello, Mark. Um, Hello, so Mark. Mark, Mark Mark writes all the really, really cool stuff for doing audio with .NET. And, uh, oh, and yes. Taking, and taking his, his code apart taught me things about how WAV files work that I never wanted to know, but now I'm sort of glad I did. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, right-click hey. deploy. So one of the things I really like on uh, Azure particularly, and good database tools also do this, is there's a button that says, don't do this. Show me the script 
that I can use to do this. And then it gives oh, you the script yes. and you can be like, yeah. right. Um, you know, like it's one of the things in the SQL server management studio. Yes. You can go when like right click change your database, table. this, 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 this. Literally almost anything you can do in the GUI, there yeah. is a show script button. Yes. That says this is how you do it from the from the command line. And yeah, there's a and yeah. Git Kraken, which is the Git GUI that I use, which I love, has got a thing now where it'll give you the graph, like the visual mergey thing in the top half, but then the console in the bottom half, so you can type things and the graph changes. It's really that's cool. quite cool. Yeah, I like um, that. Because so, yeah, because if if it, every time you sort of did a, a right click and push, and it went, hey, look, I'm actually going to shut. I'm going to type this in the console for you, so you can see what's going on, mm. um, and then. Uh, and the next time, maybe you can do that um, in the same way as when you're in like an IDE and you go yeah. view this, that, the other. And if there is a keyboard shortcut, then beside it, it'll go, hey, if you can just do this next time, you can control RR or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh... but no, um, yeah, Fret Badger. Uh, yes. The, the update from .NET 6 to .NET 8, absolutely no trouble at all. Um, but now I'm in the process of, of converting it to .NET 8 Blazor, um, which is is mad. Yeah, I'm going to learn Blazor this year. It, I, I really recommend it. So, um, I'm, you know, it's, it's a work in progress, but I did my yeah. sort of proof of concept thing. And so now uh, with server-side rendering, it's just Blazor. It, and this isn't Blazor server. Mode. Mm. So that's none of the open a WebSocket and send the DOM mm. updates over SignalR or whatever it was doing. Um, it is literally, I'm just going to render this on the server and return HTML, but I'm yep. going to do it using Blazor, Blazor components, the code thing, all that sort of stuff. But it's so just, what I, it what I, what replaces I want Razor pages. The, the thing um, I want, um, and I don't know if Blazor is a good candidate for this, is uh, I want to write Rockstar 2.0. And yep. There are a handful of Rockstar is the esoteric programming language that I invented as a joke that I now mm -hmm. maintain the joke. And anyone who's never maintained a joke for five years has no idea what they're getting themselves in for. <laughs> um, but I want to fix some stuff because there are some uh, some quirks in the language. And uh, it has somebody did advent of code in Rockstar. They did every single day in Rockstar last year, which just blows my mind. You know, because it it is not a language that is optimized for solving advent of code style problems. No. But they did it um, and sold every bit of it. And, you know, it is a, a very, very small, but very, very loyal community of people out there who actually yeah. use it for fun things. And I just want to fix a couple of things that I could really have, I, I, I wish I'd done differently. You know, it's like yeah. the, the null problem of, uh, uh, but I figure it's a joke language and I'll leave 1.0 out there in JavaScript for people who want to do that. But I want to do it in .NET, but I want to be able to run it in a browser so I don't have to pay for a server that runs other people's Rockstar programs. And yeah. so it occurred to me from what little I know about the architecture here that it would probably be possible to build the interpreter in C Sharp and compile that to WASM and have that as a sort of headless component running in the browser that then mm -hmm. communicates with the DOM. So you type your program in this bit and you get updates in that bit and the whole thing runs on your... Uh, in your browser, so yep. you know, the users are providing the horsepower. Uh, does that sound feasible? Is that will, will Blazor do that? Absolutely. Good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can create a, a .NET eight class library, which has got the interpreter in it. Yep. Um, and 
then you can use that to create a like .NET tool. So you could do .NET Rockstar um, compile or whatever. Uh, well, but the you other, can then you can yeah. take that same class library and in yeah. reference it from a Blazor application, and it will natively com if you turn native AOT on, it will natively yes. compile the interpreter to WASM, yes. along with the UI and everything else. Yes. Um, um, but then the other thing you know about having having it built in in C Sharp is that with the new .dot .net .dot .net <laughs> .NET. Every time yes. I try to say .NET 8 native compilation, it comes out as .NET. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, now you can produce like a single executable, right? That you just yeah. put on a computer that doesn't have .NET on it. And it's like, so I can have a Rockstar site where it's like, try it in a browser. Here's the Linux, here's the Windows, here's the Mac OS. Um, yes. Which has long been a thing that I thought should exist. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I made a brain beep mm. compiler. Um, so I'd done a brain BF, um, a BF interpreter, because yes. yeah. that's it. It's incredibly easy. Any Turing carpet, it's really easy to build an interpreter for it because you just yes. allocate a 32,000 byte array and then do things with it. Um, and then I thought, how could I make this actually produce uh, an executable file? Hmm. Um, and then I thought, well, actually, I could just generate C sharp. And then compile it using Roslyn, yeah. and then use the native AOT thing, and I can actually produce a native executable of the brain f. Um, and it's Martin. Uh, Hello, Martin. And, yeah, and so you could do that as well, because um, yeah. it is you know most Rockstar commands are going to map fairly easily. You just have a method for each command, and then you just bang them in order, and then you just compile that to a native executable. And if you do the trimming, given that Rockstar can basically do maths and input and output, just like most yeah. esoteric languages, then trim all the other stuff off that, and you're probably going to end up with a sort of few hundred K of, yeah. of executable file. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but Martin yeah, the playground back at the screen. Yeah. Hey, yes. Let's see if he'll do it again. Hello, hello. Um, <laughs> but no, the cool thing with with Blazor for me though is I want with Fret Badger. Yeah. Um, it is indexed by Google, mm. and if you combine all the standard fretboards, so you've got bass and then bass with various different tunings, and then guitar yeah. and yeah. then guitar different tunings, and then ukulele. And ukulele different tunings. Um, and so I generated a site map that was basically every scale, every mode, mm. every arpeggio uh, with every fretboard, which comes out to something like 67,000 um, yeah. pages. And I submitted them to Google. Um, and then I applied to put to Google AdSense so I could just stick a little ad on every page because this is currently costing me $80 a month to host this thing. Um, but yeah. And so all of those pages are generated server-side, and you can send somebody a link, yeah. and eventually I will figure out how to get Cloudflare to actually cache these pages uh, rather than, because it seems to get cache misses on 99%, so it's hitting my origin. Mm. Um, but with Blazor 8, I can also just include webassembly.js yeah. in the template file, and yeah. then what it'll do is it'll start downloading the Blazor WASM runtime in the background. Site carries on 
acting as normal. There's a service worker. So if they navigate to a new page, it doesn't reset the thing. The service worker just keeps on going. And then once it's downloaded all the native AOT, the WASM and everything else, it just silently switches over and it becomes a pure WASM application. There's no API calls because it's just music. And music is, a, it's a fixed set. Yeah. These are the chords. There's no API to go and get new chords that you maybe hadn't thought about. Um, oh, oh yeah, and so heard about microtonal music, yeah. Oh, God. No, I have. Um, <laughs> I, because so, I have uh, feedback. <laughs> but, um, there's a, a, that's Steve Vai did an album years ago, late 90s, called Sex and Religion. And yes. one of the tracks on that, he hired Ibanez, who built all Steve Weiss guitars they had done for years. And he said, I want you to build me a guitar which has 16 frets to an octave instead of 12. So instead of dividing oh, wow. an octave into 12 semitones and having an eight-note eight, eight note scale, he said, we're going to have a 16-interval octave with a 12-note scale in it. Right. And, uh, yeah, he got them to build him a couple of guitars that did that and then used okay. it on, on the record and... Uh, Yes, microtonal music is very, very odd. Yes, because I've but, seen uh, guitars where you can actually move the individual frets. Yeah, for each string, so they're not yeah. in the same, they're not in line with each other. Yes, so that you can get micro. And actually, so weird thing, you know, I got my my lovely new bass that I got myself for Christmas, um, and it's an FGN. Martin wants and to know what you're spending eighty dollars a month on for Fret Badger. Railway app. Railway app. Um, yeah, there you go. Uh, and it's mainly egress. Um, <laughs> and Hannes is here. Hello, Hannes. And Hannes could indeed build a weird guitar like that. But no, FGN basses. Um, and I've only got the sort of very basic boundary, the entry level mm. model, which is uh, 600. I got it for 450, but it's 600. Every fret is ever so slightly curved like this. Yeah. But like a tiny, yep. tiny amount. Because at the top of the neck, the strings are sort of X apart. And yeah. at the bridge, they're yeah. further apart. And so they yeah. are actually fanning slightly. And so every one of these frets is curved yeah. to match yeah. that fanning of the strings. And so yeah. one of the, their, their selling point is all other bass guitar, any bass guitar with straight frets is lying <laughs> to you. <laughs> And and is just going. Oh no, this is definitely uh, this is definitely an E sharp, uh, an E flat, or whatever. And it's not. Um, yeah. And so, but it is. It's imperceptible. And you know, my ear is not good enough to tell the difference. But it's yeah, nice I to know that it's there. I like few, it. Few people's ears are, and the even tempered scale is a compromise anyway. Yes. So. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, but uh, but yes, once I get that done, then. Um, and and turn it into a PWA as well. And then the first time people hit the thing, it'll start picking up pages from, from the sort of back end, hopefully from Cloudflare eventually, if I can figure out how to get it to good. Um, but then it'll download, you know, the, the WASM will all come from yeah. Cloudflare for sure, because it's static. Doesn't Cloudflare uh, cache anything just work locally? Doesn't Cloudflare cache anything that's been requested? It, so, so it's weird. Um, yeah. Cloudflare will cache if you've got .html mm. on the end of your uh, URL. Yeah, and it goes that's an HTML file and it will cache yeah. it. Uh, but if you have a page generated by Razor mm. that doesn't end in .html, mm -hmm. it 
thinks it's a dynamic response and by default it won't cache it. It's supposed to be able to uh you can add cache rules to say yeah. if the URI matches this, then yeah. cache it. And headers when I I but yeah, it doesn't. Headers. Um yep, no, I've got my my uh Hash, whatever it is, header with public max age eight six four hundred, all that sort of thing. Um, I also have a thing. I mean, actually, I could set the cache age to a month because I have a feature built into the site that runs during startup that uses the Cloudflare API key to purge the cache. So I deploy actually, a new version of the site and it purges open. the Cloudflare cache. I've just opened Fret Badger and I'm looking at it now because I want to see what the headers you've got set on everything are. But yeah. You can... um, hit present yeah. and you can show people what you're doing. I could, couldn't I? That would be entertaining. Let me make yeah. sure I don't have anything incriminating or uh, sensitive open in any other screens and make sure I don't close StreamYard because that would be bad. That would be bad. Now I can I can go to present. Do I have present? Is that a button that exists? There we go. We should invite Hannes to the stream. Then we'd have to talk to Hannes. We don't want to do that. Well, um, maybe we could guess, have him as a, an actual sort of proper guest. Because um, uh, if we guess? do a proper guest, if we do one of these, are yeah. we going to do this live from NDC on Thursday, the 1st of February. Yes. Um, so then we can get Hannes on. Yes. There. We can just we can do one with all the line breakers. We can. We'll get all the line breakers and two microphones, and hilarity will ensue. Yes. Uh, what window am I looking for? That one. That, that'll do. There we go. Uh, Don't worry, Hannes. I'm let, technically let's, working let's, too. Let's share that. Uh, I am also technically working. Yes. Um, okay, there we go. So, so we got Fret Badger, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to go right-click and inspect, drop tuning. and I'm going to drop. Um, I am learning a bunch of songs at the moment for a uh, thing in London in February called Jake and Hugo's Awesome Jam Night, uh -huh. um, which is basically uh, you learn songs, and then you get on stage with a bunch of people who you have maybe never been on stage with before, and you play them, and it is... Like the musicians who play there are next level, you know, really, really excellent players. It's one of those things I do because it scares the crap out of me. Right. And, uh... <laughs> oh, Martin says every time you've mentioned your site, I've heard it as threat bad. No, fret, fret, foxtrot Romeo, like the frets on a guitar. Yeah, no, threat badger is Troy Hunt's new website. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so what we are doing is we're trying to figure out why Cloudflare. So this is the point. Where it occurred to me that every time we do the screen share thing, um, anybody who does actually end up listening to this as a podcast is going to be like, I wish I could see what they can see right now. But yeah, the recording so, will be on YouTube. The recording will be on YouTube, and uh, I'll, I'll talk in a very relaxing way. So and this is actually yeah. on our new YouTube channel as well. This is on yes. the Lynn and Mark channel that I created and I couldn't use it last week because it has you have to wait 24 hours before you're allowed to live stream. We've got a, a new channel. channel. Yay. We have, an, we have an official channel. I set the title of the YouTube video to Tech Bugs and Rock and Roll. Mm. Um, because when we first said, oh, let's do a podcast, 
and I said, we well, can call it tech bugs and rock and roll. And you said, well, let's you keep that as a working unless we think of anything better. Yeah. And it's been two months. Yeah. And I don't think we thought of anything better. No. I, um, I've thought of lots of things, and everyone has just been like, oh. Yeah. yeah. And I know we use tech bugs and rock and roll as the name of like line breakers. Like, I use that for all stuff. kinds of things. You know, it's, it's just branding. So, yeah. so, yes, I will actually be creating a podcast on Anchor FM or whatever the heck you use to create podcasts. And, um, and it's, yes. I, yeah, it's going to be tech bugs and rock and roll. Sweet. Anyway, is, so we got yeah. we got Fret Badger, and what we want to do is I'm over here, I got the Chrome Network Inspector, and I'm gonna go on a network and I'm gonna reload that. Oh, that's not what I wanted. Reload that. And so that thing there, this is the active yeah. page. Why is it called EFAFDFGF? Because that's the uh tunings. Oh, e uh, uh, <laughs> so you've stumbled across something interesting here, which obviously makes perfect sense to you. Yes. F, F here stands for flat, I'm guessing. Yes, it does. Because every musician I know would have used a lowercase b for that so that it looks like that. So it looks like E flat, A flat, D flat, G flat. No, nee, but that's not right, is it? Is obviously completely counterintuitive unless you already know about it. Yeah. I No, I, I use, because um, I use S for sharp. Yeah. Because you can't use a hash anymore. Like you can't else. use hash at oh, all because yeah. that becomes so only there are, there the are shops and flats in the Unicode set. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that works. Um, so we, that's that. And then if we have a look at the headers that come back on that response, there, the, we can close the news because we don't need news in an inspector. So yeah, there you can you can actually see uh, CF CF cache status status hit. So that's come from the Cloudflare cache. Yes. So what I'm interested on in doing now, we're going to keep that open. I'm going to get a ukulele detuning because ain't nobody ever needs that. And we're going to, okay, so cache status miss. And then if yeah. I reload that and look at that again, uh, cache status hit. So yeah, yes. it's, caching, it's caching things that have been requested. It is. This, But the um, thing is, yeah. Um, when I go into my Cloudflare dashboard yeah. and I look at the cache analytics, yeah. 99% of of requests are misses mm. and so i maybe i just need to increase that max age and, and is set that it to because 99% of your traffic is bots going slash admin.php slash wp admin slash php slash I mean, that's, slash that's, that's possible the, the i've always been astonished by the difference between the kind of business level analytics where you see the people actually looking at your website and mm. HTTP logs, which is just an endless fire hose of crap. And oh, that's that's going to be really hard. So actually, Cloudflare's got kind of bot protection, hasn't it? Yeah, you'd think it would, but I'm wondering whether the bot protection happens before it gets to the caching layer. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Um, but that looks right. So yeah, that, anyway, it's caching things. I will, I will have to continue yeah. to look into that. But yes, so at the moment, Fret Badger is basically some uh, ASP.NET MVC, core MVC Razor stuff, um, and it's going to become Blazor. And my theory is I'm going to just live stream myself. Um, Martin says that. he knows a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who can help with observability. It's It's got honeycomb. Yeah, there you go. It's got honeycomb, and that didn't help. Where is uh, your god now? Yes. Because the thing is, I, I'm getting bills from from Railway saying your regress mm. is 35 gigabytes, and you're paying whatever it is per gigabyte. Um, 
and and I was sort of looking at my uh, my um, what I use Umami yeah. uh, for analytics, and Umami's going going yeah, you get like hundreds of requests a day, maybe thousands on some days. I mean, it's doing it's doing all right considering the only time I ever put a link to it anywhere is when someone's on Reddit r slash base going what are modes and i'm kind of like Here you go. here's a website um but uh but yes and so i actually i was worried that um it was honeycomb uh it was me sending all those traces and everything um to yes but no i am probably going to move it to azure container apps or azure something or or whatever and um and cut my costs i suspect mm. what i will do is once the new one's out i'll do that but yes so right click deploy but yes the the point is that upgrading from one version of dotnet to the next or the next but one is uh is pretty good um i will talk to you offline martin about, <laughs> about how to best martin's like i'm on the internet i i can i can i can evangelize observability yes yes, yes. Um, so yeah, and then the other thing, uh, the, something which uh, uh, sort of in retrospect could have probably have done with observability, but uh, the other thing we had down to talk about this week, I am listening to you, Martin, now shut up, um, is uh, Horizon. Oh, Horizon. Just, I mean, it's, it, I, it, I don't know about you, it's giving me flashbacks to yeah. sort of mainly 90s sort of standard of of software development uh but obviously this was 2000s noughties. this is where one of those micro generational differences comes into play because you are i believe a little bit older than me but also have been working professionally for a little bit longer than five I have. years on you but i've been yeah. working since my 17th um, birthday so but those five years were probably 1995 to 2000 which was kind of important when it comes to talking about the state of business software development in the late 90s. Yes, yeah. So I was there uh, when the world made the transition from Unix-wise terminals, dumb terminals, yeah. VT100s, that sort of thing, to Windows 3.11. Yeah. Um, and it was specifically Windows 3.11. Uh, yes. Windows for work groups. Yes. Because that was the first one that had... Uh, Windsock built in. Yep. Um, and I still remember the outcry at the time because there were so many third party commercial TCP uh, solutions for Windows 3.1. And then Microsoft released a new version that it built in. And all these people went, oh, that's my business. Yep. Uh, and you're just like, yes, welcome to Microsoft. Yes. Um, but, but on uh, the other yeah, hand, like, but I like, saw some stuff. Yeah, TCP/IP should be in the operating system, really. I actually. Um. So Ryan's just asking if I once wrote some code for Fujitsu. I worked at Fujitsu uh, for six months um, at their offices in uh, Reading or Slough or wherever it is, somewhere in that sort of Thames Valley area. Mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't on Horizon. So there you go. There are no. Um, we're not. We're not. What's the word? Uh, influencing the trial. Yeah. Revealing yeah. anything here which isn't um, on the record. But for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, it may be overseas or something. I don't know if this is a big news story outside of the UK. Uh, but this has all been caused by an ITV drama. Yeah. Uh, called Mr. Bates versus the Post Office. 
which when I saw the title originally, I thought that's a man who is suing the post office because when he was a child, they refused to deliver his post because it had an obscenity on the envelope. And it's not uh, that, but it's not that. Um, so Alan Bates, Mr. Bates, was a sub postmaster. Uh, so the way the post office works in the UK is you essentially, it's a franchise. And so you have a shop, you have news agents, you have a, a bakery in the case of one woman, yeah. uh, cafe thing. And you just, you put a corner aside and the post office come and install a post office uh, with all the scales and the computer and everything. Um, and then you run that post office. And at the end of every day, you have to balance your cash on hand with the transactions that you did during the day. And to make this work better, the post office paid a billion pounds in 2000, early 2000s for a new system called Horizon. And this Fujitsu engineers would turn up and put a physical computer into your post office. And then all your transactions, your, your post, your people getting their pension, everything the post office does went through this Horizon terminal. And at the end of the day, you did your balance thing, and it would tell you if there was a cash deficit. And this was in hundreds of thousands of these little post offices all over the country. And for hundreds of people, so not a huge number of people, but for hundreds of people, uh, they were being told there were discrepancies. And their contract said that you have to make good any discrepancies every day. And this was happening to people and uh, they would, it was saying you have a £2,000 discrepancy, you have a £10,000 discrepancy. Um, and so they were contacting Horizon support and saying, why is it saying I have a discrepancy? And, uh, and then, yeah. Uh, this is where absolute this bastards is, This is where it goes proper yeah. corporate enterprise, yeah. but also just pure evil. Yeah. Um, because... Horizon knew that the software was faulty. And rather than admit that the software was faulty, which would have invoked various penalties in their contract and forced they them to do have lots of got things, their bonuses. They had a room full of people working overnight while the post offices were closed, connecting into these terminals, which they insisted was not a possibility. They said, you can't remote connect to these terminals. They're yours. They're secure. They were logging into them and attempting to fix the problems that had been caused by the bugs that they knew were there um, overnight. And if they got it wrong, then these discrepancies showed up. And this went on for years and postmasters postmistresses uh lost their livelihoods uh remortgaged their houses to try and make up these discrepancies uh went to jail went to prison because they pled guilty to theft because they were told that if they pled guilty they would get a shorter prison sentence or they would get community service or whatever so they they took a plea bargain because they were terrified and uh and became ill um and and had to go into hospital for for mental treatment and in more than one case uh committed suicide trigger warning um and 
this was happening in the noughties and mm. it was reported it was reported in the news at the time but it tended to be in the local news uh it was in local one newspapers. of the, the astonishing yeah. things i was uh kate bevan on twitter formerly x formerly twitter um who was a, a tech journalist who covers all kinds of really interesting things was saying that this is a anytime you want to know what somebody means by the mainstream media this story has been covered um extensively online uh there was a radio 4 program about it it was in computer weekly it was in private eye it's been in the times it's been in the telegraph it's been in the front page of the guardian um but until itv puts it on the evening new on the evening terrestrial television yeah. nobody gave a crap Yes. And within a week of ITV, you know, there were like a million signatures on an online petition uh, calling for a criminal investigation into this. Yes. So any time, you know, that for me, that was a real kind of, you know, a, a data point as to the world we live in, yes. where that number of people, that percentage of public opinion will tune into what is on ITV at eight o'clock on a Monday night, doesn't read the newspaper, doesn't have cable, doesn't have Sky streaming, Apple TV, this, that, YouTube, Twitter, Private Eye, Computer Weekly, whatever. Um, and, you know, this has been going on for 20 years. Paula Venels, the chief executive of the post office, who is the, the evil person most directly evil in the perpetration of evil, um, and as a Church of England vicar while all this was going on, got a yeah. CBE in 2019. Yes. Like 20 years after they started sending innocent people to jail because yeah. their computer didn't work and they wouldn't admit it because admitting it would jeopardize their bonuses, yeah. the government turned around and went, jolly good job, have letters after your name. Yes. To and, be clear, uh, I, I, in 2019, when they gave her the CBE, they knew what had been going on. They knew the post office had been covering up. They knew that Horizon had been and Fujitsu had been mm. leading the fact they knew that they'd sent people to jail. Uh, that was a really interesting thing that that the uh, that was made clear in the mm. in the drama series was uh, people would say, "Well, if you if you think I've stolen it, then go and get the police." The post mm. office don't need to involve the police. The post office can prosecute you all the way up to Crown Court without involving the police. They can charge you with a crime. Is uh, that because the post office is special, or is it because the British legal system is broken? Both. Both. Um, the post office is special according this is, this to private the broken British right? legal system. But yeah. yes, it is. Uh, so there are various uh, quasi-autonomous non-governmental agencies, mm. uh, of which I believe the post office was one until it was privatised. Mm. Um and they have the the power to um, to bring prosecutions. So HMRC can do it as well. HMRC, yeah. you don't need the police to to arrest you if you haven't paid your tax. Um, I paid my tax. I yeah. paid it this week. Yeah, and and just so we're clear, so you don't need to send the HMRC special police round. It's fine. Yes. It. Yeah. My my tax is currently with an accountant who's trying to unpick it all and work out how much I I need to pay. But um, yeah, it's there. Moritz so, says in the yeah. chat, what, what did you think about the talks at We Are Developers? I was attending your concert. It was amazing. Thank you, Moritz. It was a lot of fun. Uh, so this was last year in uh, July. In uh, So We Are Developers is one of the biggest 
events list like 20,000 or 25,000 people. It's huge. Wow. Okay. Um, and uh, they pinged me because uh, my, my good friend, Chris Heilman, Chris Heilman, who used to work at Microsoft and now works for We Are Developers, um, got in touch and said, do you want to come and do your music thing at We Are Developers? And they had like an Airstream trailer set up outside with all the you know, food trucks and everything. Um, and it pissed down with rain and it oh. was this well no because i was like this is it this is like a, a rite of passage every musician has to go through this is the wet glastonbury yeah. of the tech industry um that was the day i discovered that the framework laptop is waterproof because Hooray! it was right under the edge of where the canopy was dripping and yeah. at one point it right clicked something because a particularly heavy raindrop hit the touchpad in just the wrong place Yes. Um, so yeah, framework laptop, excellent and weather resistant to an extent that I did not expect. Um, good. Yeah. Um, so, Demaris, uh, to go back to your question, uh, the talks that I went to, I saw uh, John Romero and I saw Tim Berners-Lee and I saw the Stack Overflow crew and I saw a couple of talks by speakers who I was looking out for because I wanted to see what they could do because I was thinking about inviting them to some other events. Um, all the stuff I saw was very good, but I think I only saw six talks over the, the whole that I was there. Um, so I cannot comment on whether they were all marketing schemes. They may have been, they may not have been. I do not know. Um, One of the things with the bigger conferences mm. um, is a lot of the time when they are making the sponsorship deals, which is the thing that they have to do to allow the conference to go ahead. Ticket yeah. sales alone are not going to pay for hiring a venue that can hold 20,000 people yeah. and all the team that security and audio and engineers and everything you know it's very very expensive to put on a conference you need yeah. sponsors but a lot of the sponsors a lot of the time will expect a speaking slot or yeah. a representative of the company at least yeah. one and and in some cases more and if they're coming in as a platinum sponsor and they're going to go we're going to give you a hundred thousand pounds or or whatever it is but we want a slot then you say yes and so you do get, yeah. uh, so if you have a talk from somebody who works for Microsoft about Azure uh, something, yeah. then that is that is going to be a marketing talk. Um, if you have right. a talk from somebody who doesn't work for Microsoft on how to save money on your Azure bill, that's not a marketing talk. And so it's, it's a matter of being a, you, you, over time, you learn to sort of recognize from the abstracts is that a marketing talk? It's, um, uh, if the first slide of the presentation has the same logo as the marketing banners hung either side of the stage, yeah. you can safely leave the room in nine cases out of ten. Yes, I yeah. have. I have. So, I've been. I've been at events. I mean, you know, the as Marcus said, the the economics of running an event like this are. Uh, as like, what's the expression? Uh, never watch them making laws or sausages. But uh, if you love something, never find out how it's made. And oh, yeah. uh, what, what yeah. goes into making conferences happen is uh, the biggest problem with it is always cash flow. Because most events actually, in most years, they do okay. But the event wants payment in advance. The venue wants payment in advance. The caterers want payment up front. Um, and getting people like sponsors, why they always have early bird tickets. Is because yeah. like well, we want you to buy tickets now. One, so we get some idea how big it's going to be, and two, because we need some money in the bank to start the ball rolling. Yeah. And uh, you know, I used to uh, disclosure. I used to be the the CTO at Skills Matter in London, who were a big conference company. They ran about twenty of their own events every year, and they got to a point where they ran so many events that the cash flow from one would support the next one. 
which was a very nice position to, to get to. But most, you know, somebody runs one or two events a year, everyone, they're kind of starting from scratch and, uh, you know, pulling the, the whole thing together. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. And Hannah says in the comments, you wouldn't believe how expensive catering is. Uh, most venues, yeah, so an awful lot of venues, you book a hotel or a conference center or something, they'll be like, yeah, uh, coffee and biscuits is going to be 80 pounds per person. And yes. you are not allowed to bring in your own coffee and biscuits. Yeah. So, uh, folks, anyone out there, anytime you're at a conference and there's coffee and biscuits, drink 80 quid's worth. Like, eat yeah. a lot of biscuits. Yeah. And if they run out of biscuits, you can be like, well, we're paying you a lot of money. Bring more biscuits. Was, Come on. Chocolate hobnobs. There was one place. I think it might be NDC London, but I can't remember if it's where it is now at the QE2 or where mm. it used to be at the EdXL. Um, and you basically most venues will say these are the caterers we work with yeah. and they've got the caterers the caterers actually have their own equipment in the venue cooking yeah. rooms and, and that sort yeah. of thing yeah. uh, and uh, one of the ndc london ones the catering was prue leith's catering company mm. which is not cheap and i know it's not cheap because where i got married also had a contract with prue leith catering and I had several of my guests say that was one of the best meals I've ever had. <laughs> like, not not at a wedding, just one of the best meals I've ever yeah. had. It was fantastic. It was just hey, Eli. amazing. Welcome but, to the stream. Uh, it was like 150 quid per person or something like that. It was not cheap. Yeah. Uh, not including wine. Um, but yes. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so going uh, back to the, the yeah, sponsored so talks, sponsored talks thing, because right? um, yeah. you know, you and I have both been on uh committees selecting the the agenda for um, certainly NDC conferences, yeah. uh, and when it's come through the call for papers and we're going through session eyes, uh, if you see something there that is obviously kind of marketing content, then we uh, we kick it. Yeah. It does not get through. Um, but there are going to be times when a sponsor has paid an enormous amount of money and they want a slot. And the, the organizer's going to yeah. go, yep, okay, here's a slot. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, and it is. It's just uh, when I'm looking for talks to go to, when I'm kind of going, do I want to see this talk or that talk or the other talk, I generally, if it's a speaker that I've seen before and that I, I like their speaking, and I, I will go and see them. Uh, but the talks I generally look for are, we did a thing. Yeah. Here are the lessons we learned doing a thing. It's one of the things I like about Build Stuff, mm. the, the kind of primary talk that Build Stuff is looking for, is I built something, yeah. and here's what I learned doing it. Yeah. Um, and so I go for those talks. Uh, or I will go for um, sort of hardcore level yep. 400 technical talks from you know like damian edwards and david fowler talking about the performance optimizations in the latest version of asp.net core and i will Which go and i will just use in your I, job I, I will stare forwards pretending yeah. i understand the weird bit twiddling thing they're doing with longs to match http methods in yeah. a single operation yeah um but yeah it's uh yeah. 
It's like we worked out that if the fifth bit of the first byte of the incoming packet was true, we could short circuit straight to this pipeline. Yes. And I'm like, yes, yes, you can. Yeah, yeah you I, can. I think I understood some of those words. Yes. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, actually, yeah, Martin, so please break my brain is a genuine category we should have at NDC. I actually so, think please, please break my brain could be a one-day conference. Yeah. I'd love Single. to do a talk where a developer, like, a you know, kind of, let, let's, uh, an open AI prompt engineer comes on and talks for five minutes. And then a machine learning scientist comes on and says, everything that person said is an abstraction that breaks down as soon as it gets difficult. This is what's actually going on. And they talk about vectors and tokenization. And, yeah. and then someone else comes on and goes, well, actually, machine learning is just a really big database. And then someone else comes on, well, actually, a database is just a bunch of files. And you go all the way down. <laughs> at the end, you get a physicist come on and say, actually, voltage doesn't exist. It's just perturbations in an electrical field. Yes. And that's it. Like, none of this is real, and you can all go home. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I am at the none of this is real. John I would Stephen totally. In the break my brain competition every time, says Ryan. I saw John implement linked objects in 30 minutes once on stage, and I think he was yeah. answering Stack Overflow questions on his phone while he was doing it. Yes. So um, <laughs> I, I watched uh, Bart DeSmet manually implement the state machine for async await. Uh, <laughs> At around the time when yeah. Sharp Five came out, and it was just it was bonkers because um, he's you sort of go you, th you think you know what's going on in there, but there's so much extra yeah. stuff. Um, but yes, I would totally come and see Eli talking about uh, elliptic curves. Um, yeah, and and doing maths with elliptic curves, I would definitely watch them do that. I thought elliptic curves is how. Andrew, what's his name, proved Fermat or disproved Fermat's last theorem. Um, elliptic curves and modular I, I functions. I don't know. Um, Wiles, I should know. I've read Simon Singh's book about yeah. that, yeah. but I don't remember what actually happened. So that, that book, um, Simon Singh, Fermat's last theorem. Simon Singh writes awesome books, and his he Mathematics does. of the Simpsons one is really fun. Um, but Fermat's last theorem, he... Uh, I remember an interview with him around the time where he said we had this real problem in that something had just made headlines all over the world and people are like, I want to understand, because, you know, Fermat is one of those things that you can understand when you're like 10. Yes. Um, and be like, okay, and you can start trying it and going, well, I haven't found any counterexamples. If I could prove that none existed, then I'd be famous. Um, and uh, I'm going to actually just check I got his name right. I think it's Andrew Wiles, yes. the guy. Yeah. This is at Cambridge about 25 years ago. Uh, Andrew Wiles, yeah, English mathematician, Fermat's last theorem. Yeah, that's the guy. Um, yeah. But uh, Andrew just, Wiles. Just for the record here, Dylan is technically a mathematician. No, I'm not. I have a degree in computer science. Yeah, but you you know math things. I I have A levels in you the have A levels in yeah. further maths or something. I I yeah um I was doing I was basically a a top ninetieth percentile student till I got to eigenvectors and my brain couldn't eigenvectors. Fair and enough. That that's the point where I decided computers were more fun than number theory. Yes. Um, anyway, so Andrew Wiles though. So but yeah, you know he had this thing. He proved Fermat's last theorem, and his proof relied on some just unbelievably brain tanglingly advanced mathematics. And something like there's this thing called modular functions that no one's ever heard of, and a thing called elliptic curves that no one's ever heard of. And he'd figured out that if you could prove that there was not a one-to-one -one cardinality between elliptic curves and modular functions, 
Um, something like if you could find a modular function that didn't have an elliptic <laughs> curve, then that would be a counterexample to Fermat. And oh, you know, it, it's this kind of like just unbelievable. And, and apparently, when he when he presented it, um, he didn't tell people that's what he was going to do. He just started talking about you know investigating the the correlation between these things and and just kind of whittles it down until there's Fermat left on the board at the end. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then Simon Singh is like, how do you write a book explaining? that the solution to Fermat it actually requires about 20 years of advanced mathematics. Yes. And uh and yeah. Yeah. But, but so, uh, how do we how do we get onto Fermat? Oh yeah, Eli, elliptic curves. Yeah, elliptic, elliptic curves and things. And post quantum signature schemes called NTRU prime. And the NTRU stands for number theorists are us. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand post quantum yeah, I don't, think, I don't think you're supposed to. I think that's no. the point. But, uh... but yes, that's uh... um, so. Yes, that's th there. We go. That's talks and things. Uh, yeah. Did we finish talking about the horizon thing? Did we want? To... Um, I mean, we talked about the, the, the sort of media. I mean, the other thing about the, the horizon thing that you know, the, everything I found out about that has made me angry, and it's mm. partly sort of you know the sense of social justice, but it's also you know, I think every developer who has done any time in industry, somewhere in the back of their soul, they have a little box where they keep all of the anger they've bottled up every time they've been told in a meeting to stop being difficult yes. and to get with the program and it'll be fine. And we're going to go with this vendor and you're sitting in the back of the room going, this vendor is selling you snake oil and you like it because they're wearing the same suit as you. And how yes. can you not see that you are getting ripped off left, right, and center by shiny-suited management consultants who don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we all have it. And and when the Horizon thing comes along, it's like, oh, hang on, I've got something back here that that is is relevant to this. Yes. Um, and, uh, um, but, you know, and I'm, I'm absolutely sure that on the, the Horizon, the Fujitsu side of it, there were engineers going, this is wrong. We should not be doing this. This, this yeah. won't work. Boss, stop it. And boss is like, shut up. You're being difficult. Keep quiet. It'll be fine. So, Don't jeopardize my bonus. Um, the the yeah. closest analogy I could think of from my own career was there was a place that I worked for a pretty long time. Mm. Um, and when we sent out updates to yeah. the software, uh, we would include release notes. Yeah. And... Uh, we weren't allowed to put bug fixes in the release mm. notes because that would be admitting to people who hadn't necessarily encountered the bug that there had been a bug yeah. which would negatively impact con customer confidence in our ability to build software. So we weren't allowed to put fix this bug, fix mm. that bug, fix yeah. the other bug. Um, and then we would just quietly say to the person who reported the bug, oh, it's fixed in that version. But it, it didn't go into the release notes. Yeah. And a couple of times, there were releases where all we had done was fix bugs. So we couldn't put anything in the release notes. And so it would go down as performance enhancements. Mm. 
that would be the 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 release notes for that version would yeah. be performance enhancement. But what what performance is it? Better, quicker database access? No, no. We've enhanced the performance around when you type this into that field and then click that button. It yeah. no longer deletes your user directory on your C drive. Scott Helm um, has a lovely theory that uh, every year when Unicode announced the new emoji, Apple get all the artwork ready, but they don't release it right away. Because yes. if they have to push out an urgent security patch for something, they can push it out in an update that claims to be adding emoji support. And one, that's what gets the headlines. And yes. two, people will install it right away because they want the new emoji. Yes. Um, which yes. is quite a, a nice idea. Uh, Moritz has a question in the chat about, do you think people that develop software that do not have an academic background will ever reach the same potential as someone who started learning for themselves? Um, some of the least capable people I've ever worked with in my life are incredibly qualified. And some of the most capable people I've ever worked with left school at 16 with no qualifications. Um, I left school at 16 with five GCSEs. And I've done all right. Yeah. Um, and I can build software. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it's one of those things because people go, oh, well, then having a computer science degree is a negative thing. It's not. It's um, if I had a computer, I could have got a computer science degree given slightly different sort of yeah. circumstances. Um, and I would be the same person I am now, except I would be able to implement quicksort on a whiteboard. Um, <laughs> shut up, Martin. <laughs> I've seen some of your code. Um, and so, yeah, I think there are people who would be good at building software, regardless, they might have a degree. But I don't yeah. think they're good at it because they've got the degree. Yeah. Um, the, I, I suppose the interesting question is: Are there people out there who wouldn't be any good at developing software if they hadn't done their computer science degree? Um, and actually, I, I doubt that. I don't think. I think if you have the right kind of brain for programming, and more importantly, you like it enough to want to get really good at it. Yeah. you enjoy it it's it's a it's a pastime that you actively enjoy then you would probably have got good at it there is been a computer science degree i mean there is there is to me there is an entire class of uh problems which i think of as sql injection and that kind of thing where it is a something you could you are unlikely to discover being self-taught until it bites you or unless yeah. you are you know i think uh you know of the the developers that i've worked with 90 percent of them would have been able to teach themselves with no formal training or anything they would have been able to figure out how to get data out of a database turn it into something put it on html put it on a web page do all that kind of stuff um maybe five percent would have gone hmm hang on what happens if i put a single quote in the input string to that and figured out yeah for themselves what a SQL injection attack was. Um, most of, you know, I, I didn't know, I did three years at university. No one ever told me about SQL injection. <laughs> you know, I don't think at any point in university we learned about web pages and databases in the same project. Now yes. this was the late nineties. So, you know, databases were, and it was computer science. It was very theoretical. Yeah. Um, I know about Boycott normalized form and Bacchus Nauer grammar and prologue and um, big O notation. <laughs> And there was relatively little, uh, we, we had a module in software engineering, um, but uh, I don't think it taught us anything 
useful. No. You know? And this is the I, thing. I know how to so do a these days, path analysis of a Gantt chart for a software project. <laughs> um, but these days, you can go to university, you can do computer yeah. science, uh, which involves a lot of maths. And actually, yeah. if you look at computer science courses, uh, very few of them say you need computer science A-level. Yeah. All of them say you need maths A-level. Yeah. As, as an entry requirement but you can also go to most universities and you can do a bsc in software engineering mm. and that's actually what most people should do it doesn't sound as as cool and sexy yeah. as computer science but uh you can go and you can do civil engineering you can do architecture uh and all that sort of you know designing buildings and bridges and underground stations and, and all mm. this sort of thing. And a lot of the stuff you will learn on those engineering courses is physics. It's tensile strength and yeah. shear forces and, and all those kind of the bits of physics that are relevant to building bridges and stuff. Um, but you wouldn't go and study physics to become an architect. You wouldn't study yeah. theoretical physics or that sort of thing. And studying computer science to then go out there and build business software in Java or C Sharp or to build, you know, even to build kind of um, DevOps type software in Go and so forth. Yeah. You're much better off with a degree in software engineering <laughs> than you are with computer science. Eli, I propose that attending one line breakers gig teaches you a comparable amount about software engineering to a computer science degree. Uh, yeah, no, I would, I would yeah. say we've probably handled that. Um, so yes, that's uh, right. Moritz is, is just keeps asking questions, and we, like we are over time. They are good questions, though. We're going to answer this one so, question: uh, the income disparity of software developers versus construction laborers. Um, so I, I think this is. This is one of those things that everyone in the world thinks that software developers make loads of money and builders don't. And this generally suggests yeah. that those people have not attempted to hire a builder yeah. at any point yeah. in their life. Um, I mean, there are, you know, the, 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 the disparity I think is interesting is software developers versus, you know, healthcare professionals. Um, yes. Because I would love to see a world where um, doctors get paid more than JavaScript programmers just well, as a rule. Like every year, yeah. they're like, how much are we paying the web people? Right, stick 20% on that. That's what we're paying all the doctors. And because it might, it might get a few smart people to stop being JavaScript developers and go and yeah. become doctors yeah. and nurses and paramedics and anesthetists. And, I, you know, I was kind of stuff. driving um, uh, from home to Peterborough, where I had a contract at the time once, and it was 1 o'clock in the morning. Yep. And they had all the cones out and, and stuff on the motorway. And it was down to one lane, which wasn't really a problem. And uh, there were guys in cherry pickers changing light bulbs in lampposts, in, yeah. in the lampposts, in the pouring rain in like November, I think it was. Uh, and I, I had a moment where I thought, I, I probably earn in a day what they earn in a week. Because those guys, those workers, the ones who are up cherry pickers changing light bulbs, that is not skilled work. Anyone can do that, and that's the problem yeah. with the whole of capitalism, effectively. If anyone can do what you can do, you're not going to get paid very much for doing it, even yeah. though it takes just as much time out of your life yeah. as anybody else's job. 
It's one of the uh, things it's that very unfair. The whole idea of universal basic income. Let's everyone has a grand a month. That's it. The government just like you know what you're, you're fine. Grand yeah. a month for everybody. And yeah. you're like, who, who's going to change the light bulbs on the motorway when nobody needs money that badly? And um, then, then you say, well, <laughs> and you'll have Wait, to pay no, a little. Have you seen the cherry pickers actually at work? It absolutely is skilled. It's you could take most people and train them to to run one of those things. We're, 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 yeah, uh, I will. Um, I will be the first to acknowledge. I do not know anything about the intricacies of changing light bulbs on highways, and so I will back away from this conversation and admit yeah. my total ignorance of what's actually involved in doing it. Yes, um, uh, but no, I, I think there's this this notion that because not many people or because fewer people can do what you can do that you are special yeah. and therefore you deserve more money and i think that's yeah. that's a real issue and i think the problem with universal basic income is that if we had that then you would still be able to get people to go out in the pouring rain up a cherry picker changing light bulbs but you'd have to pay more to do it i know and and that would be an issue yeah um, You'd get but a world yeah, where if you wanted a website written, it would basically be free because there were so many people who love programming and don't need money. Yeah. But if you wanted a cheeseburger at three o'clock in the morning, it would cost £75 because that's what it costs to actually make somebody who isn't desperate get out of bed and cook you a cheeseburger at three o'clock in the morning. Yes. Yeah. Uh, That'd be a weird world to live in. It would. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I, think, uh, I think software engineers... Um, get paid uh, what I consider to, you know, the the at the higher end, software yeah. engineers get paid what I consider to be a basic living wage. Um, and so the problem isn't that software engineers are getting paid too much, it's that everyone else isn't getting paid enough. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and I'm pretty market. sure you could fix it by taxing Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and probably like 500 other people and then there would be enough money for everybody to get paid uh, yeah. sensible amounts but that's that's probably an entirely different podcast stop asking questions marit <laughs> we love you they are they are good questions can i do you ask think you? we're going to answer this question and then we're going to wrap it up do you think the fact that so many people who don't know how to develop software think that it's some kind of black magic is a detrimental blessing to us engineers um, oh, it's i think <laughs> i think there are very broadly two kinds of people in the world there are the people who think i can't do that and there are the people who like well somebody did it so it must be possible so i'm going to figure out how yes and i think that uh increasingly the you know the more people fit in the other category it's like just just believing that if you had to you could figure out how something works or you could figure out how something has to be done and it's not just software you know i see this all kind of people who don't know how to repair basic household items you know coffee machine yes. stops working oh well it must be broken it's like yeah it's broken let's take it apart and fix it you can do that yeah you can pro and then you get it and yeah oh no we can't do it because it's glued shut and yep. it's one one microchip and a sealed unit they bought on aliexpress um yes but i think that the that attitude you know i <laughs> when i was a kid like when i first started i had an amstrad 128 and i absolutely believed that the only reason that you could not run Baldur's Gate 3 on an Amstrad 128 is that the programmer, me, wasn't clever enough to do it. Yes. And, you know, I remember when CD-ROMs came out being like, 
what's the big deal? And that's when I discovered, oh, you can't fit an infinite amount of information on a floppy disk because I'd never had a file that big uh, unless in my life. As, as far as I was, well, yeah, but he's special. Yes. Um, so, but no, I, um, um, I've always assumed that anything you can do with software yeah. is, is probably quite easy uh, because I have an affinity for code and, yeah. and I can think in code. But there are lots of other things in life where I go, oh, no, that's black magic. Um, mm. And uh, until I try to do them, and I think in the world generally, we are approaching a point. It's, it's becoming less of a problem because anything that you want to do, literally anything that you want to do these days, you can go on YouTube and you can find a video of yeah. somebody doing it uh yep. so if the uh if the headlight bulbs if the indicator bulbs have gone you can go onto youtube you can not only find youtube videos saying how yep. to change the indicator bulbs you can find a thing a video of somebody showing you how to do that for your exact make and model of car yeah and they will tell you what kind of bulb you need and then they will show you the steps to yep. remove the light assembly and pull the, and everything because yep. um, the the most recent thing that I've kind of learned as a skill is how to set up a, a base but you know basically any stringed instrument when you get a, a stringed instrument mm. there's a thing called a truss rod in the neck which changes ever so slightly the sort of amount of bend in the neck and you have to get that right and then you have to adjust the height of the strings at the bridge so that it's called the action and uh, you want an action that's low so you're not having to press the strings too hard but high enough so that when you really the string it doesn't rattle against the frets and you know, you, there are people who will take their instrument into their local guitar shop and leave it there for a week and just go, can you just lower the action a bit? Um, and I was just kind of like, eh. And so I, I learned how to do it, and I bought very, very small, very, very precise little metal rulers that you can use to measure the height and all this sort of thing. Once you've learned to do it, it's kind of like, yeah. that's not difficult, and now I can change it and make it what I want. And so You don't need little rulers. You just lower it and slap it, and if it buzzes, it's too low, and you take it back up a bit. Yes. Yeah, that, you can... That, that... You that can bounce, do, yeah. do that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I think uh, less and less people now are, are kind of, um, certainly younger people are, mm. are no longer mystified by the magic that takes various bits of text and turns it into images and, mm. and web pages and, and mobile apps and all that sort of stuff. But certainly the older generation who generally don't watch very much stuff on YouTube. Fewer and fewer. Yeah, yeah, Martin. Yeah. Um, the, they are never going to believe that computers are anything other than demon boxes, like the, the sort of cameras from Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels. <laughs> this, this arcane evil sitting inside that's just been bound by some kind of chalk circle to do your bidding. Mm. Um, and actually, I'm pretty sure that uh, ChatGPT 4.5 is is that. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I'm doing a talk at Chat G about ChatGPT at NDC London, which will be. Hey. Yeah. That'll be interesting. It will. 
Uh, we're going to end with my favorite bug I found this week. Um, you're then. talking about bug, bug fixes and stuff. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3, I have discovered mm -hmm. a bug. In the beginning of the third act, you meet a cat. You cannot talk to the cat until you've picked it up and thrown it into a barn. This is a bug. We don't know why. The developers or the people on the Reddit forum aren't sure why. But if you have a talk to animals spell, you can talk to all the animals in the game. But for some reason, when you first meet Grub the Ginger Cat, the talk to animals thing does not kick in. But if you then pick him up and gently throw him into the long grass or something or into some hay, he comes toddling back. And when he comes back, you can speak to him. And yeah. That's... Bug reports, hey? <laughs> How's that? Game developers have to put up with the weirdest bug reports. As, yeah. You know, mine's kind of, these numbers aren't adding up properly. I, I, don't, I uh, saw one in uh, uh, something. Far Cry, Fallout, some game. Um, there's a train, and the train isn't actually a train. The train is an NPC wearing a train hat because they already had all the routines they need to animate <laughs> items of costume for non-player characters. And so they're like, well, we'll just make a hat shaped like a train and then get them to walk in a trench and then yeah. the train will move along. Yeah. Anyway, let's wrap it up. Thank you yes. for tuning in, folks. It's been uh, it's been great. And having people on and asking questions, we're going to do this every week. Yeah, um, and I'm going to it's, I'm going to publish it as a podcast. It's going to be called Tech Bugs and Rock and Roll. It will be wherever your podcasts are. We'll I'll create a website for it, or we'll create a website for it. Um, and yeah, uh, one thing that works really well for this is people asking questions in the yeah. chat. Yeah. Uh, uh, but if you're listening not live and you've got a question that you would like us to discuss on the show, then please go ahead and leave it as a comment on the YouTube video or as a comment once this thing's up as a podcast, and you can leave comments on there. And then we'll uh, we'll take the good ones and we'll talk about them in future shows. Yeah. But yeah, All right. we'll be back here 4 o'clock next week, Thursday. We will. And uh, we'll hope to catch you again. All right. Take care of yourselves. Bye. <laughs> See ya. And stream.